the message of the Bible is how God brings his wayward, estranged people back home into his presence. The message of the Bible is how God brings his wayward, estranged people, children, family, back home into his presence. I said this before and it's worth saying regularly. If any of you have had a loved one who has been away from home for any particular time, not a day or two, but for a stretch, the most wonderful news is what? He or she what? Is coming home. I mean, it's just amazing news. You've heard the word home is where the heart is. And spiritually, that's the truth. Home is where God's heart is. You know, we see the father's excitement and his great joy in receiving his estranged son back home in Luke 15, verse 18. Remember, the son has left and has lived a profligate life, spending wine, women, dance, whatever. And he comes to the place where he's living with the pigs. And he comes to himself, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I will arise and go back to my father. And the picture is this in Luke 15. There is a father on the hill. And I can imagine every day standing looking down toward the town to see if there's any evidence is today the day my son comes back. And then finally one day he sees the figure of someone coming his way. And he doesn't recognize the person because of the tattered and filthy rags, griminess, dirt, matted hair. But then all of a sudden he realized, oh, he recognizes the way this person is walking. Is oh, my son. And when he sees his son and recognizes it's his son. What the Bible says is this. While the son was a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced and he kissed him. My son is home again. As long as I live, I will always remember two days among others, but always remember these two days. The day in June 2015 when my grandson left to go away to school. And then I will always remember the day he came home. Thanksgiving. I always remember it. I 
couldn't wait to get home. For my Jonathan was home again. Home again. Home again. And why do I put this picture on the screen today? To give us a sense of connection with something of God's purpose and pleasure, joy, in bringing us home again. Home again. Remember in Matthew 11, and we had that in the plaque outside, and Keith has talked about it. Jesus calls his people home. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Where? At home. Home with God is resting from the labors and the wrestlings against sin and degradation. And then the pull of the world upon us, pulling us away from our Father. Jesus says, come home, come home. How do we get into such a terrible situation where the one who created us to be his people, who created us to be with him and in his presence, As he shares himself most intimately with us in a fellowship of communal love. How do we get to the place, this most terrible place, that now this one who has done this work needs to call us back? Well, you remember how we got in it. Adam sinned, Genesis 3, 6. And in sinning, Humanity, all of us were in Adam. And when Adam sinned, everyone became infected with sin. And as a consequence of that, we became the estranged, wayward people of God that were to be God's people, away from God. And as a consequence, in order to keep his promise, And his purpose of creating us to be his people. The Lord promised in Genesis 3.15, I will send a redeemer. And this redeemer will do everything necessary so that my people who are now estranged may become my people at home with me again in my presence. And in Genesis 3.21, he tells us how that will be affected. It will be through the shedding of innocent blood. Because you remember the Lord clothed Adam and Eve with the skin of an animal, which obviously is indicative and necessitating the shedding of blood. And so, this is why many, many years later, keeping this understanding in mind of God's persistent purpose of bringing his people back home to himself out of the wilderness of the world, God now, years later, after the fall in Genesis, 
Because you remember, as a result of sin in Genesis 3.24, Adam and Eve were expelled from the presence of God. And years later at Sinai, God brings his people back to this mountain, this place of his dwelling. And he brings them back and he gives them the law and the tabernacle. (coughs) Why? This, until the incarnation, I think is the most monumental work of grace and mercy in the Bible. Too many people see the law as negative. (gasps) If God had not given this, his people never would have been able to come home. He gave the law and the tabernacle as the means of bringing his people into his presence until the one who would fulfill it all would bring them into his presence forever. Monumental work of grace. Astounding. Astounding that any God would do such a work for such a people. Absolutely unique in the annals of religion. And so hopefully this morning, as we have done it in the past, we will see more clearly, a little bit more clearly, the incredible mercy, kindness, goodness, love, grace of God in the law and the tabernacle. So you remember in Exodus 25, what is the purpose of this? He says, so that I may dwell among my people. So this is the, the, the purpose, the picture of the tabernacle, or the law, the furniture, the priesthood. This is what we see. The entire complex of the tabernacle. And Keith went into some of it last week. You had the outer court and the, inner, and the tabernacle itself. The entire complex, everything about it, all of its layout, all of its furniture, all the activities of the priest, everything was one purpose, to bring my people home. To show through this foreshadowing temporary work how God will bring about the permanent work of having his people in his presence. So let's this morning talk a little bit about the outer court as we talk about two pieces of furniture. The outer court, the tabernacle, as I said, the seven pieces of furniture, the priesthood, all are collectively, collectively a picture of how God makes a sinful people ready to enter his presence without being destroyed. Apart from this, no one can safely come into the presence of this holy and exalted God. And how will it happen? What is being pictured here? What is being pictured here is that through the sacrificial death of an animal, as presented by the priest, that animal dying for the sin of his people, so that they may be forgiven and may be cleansed 
of sin. This is the only way. This is the only way. And for those of you who may be visiting us this morning, and you are not part of the family of God, this is the only way. Decreed by God himself to come into his presence. So the outer court. The way into the presence of God, the way home, begins, begins in the outer court. And there were two pieces of furniture in the outer court. The brazen altar and the brazen laver. So let's look at the brazen altar first. There's a scripture in Exodus 27, 1 through 6. And I think we'll see it on the screen in a moment. And let's read it together. The Lord said to Moses, You shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. And you shall make horns on it on its four corners. Its horns shall be one piece with it and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make pots for it to receive its ashes and shovels and basins and forks and fire pans. You shall make all the utensils of bronze. You shall also make for it a grating, a network of bronze. And on the net you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. Verse 6. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles for the acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. What is the function of the bronze altar? The bronze altar has only one function. It's the place where the penalty of sin is paid. So the bronze altar has to do with penalty, payment of the penalty of sin. You see, it is at this altar where the penalty is laid upon an innocent animal. Now, what is the penalty of sin? You remember in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Lord says to the couple, you see all, everything, everything, you can, you can eat it all. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not partake of the fruit of that tree. For in the day that you take of it, you shall what? Surely die. So there is a penalty to disobedience, and the penalty is death. And in order for God to bring his death penalty cursed people under death to come back into his life-giving presence, death has to occur. The penalty must be paid in order for God's people to come into his presence. So this altar, this brazen altar, was carried out on a daily basis, the divine penalty of the sin of the people. How? By the shedding of the blood of an innocent animal in the place of the guilty. Remember we said innocent. Genesis 2, I'm sorry, 321. An innocent animal dies in Genesis to picture this is what is going to happen for my people to be saved, to becoming able to come home. An innocent will die in their place and for them and on their behalf by the shedding of blood. This is the way that is prescribed and the only way that is prescribed for God's people to come back home. There is no other way. And then you remember, day after day, all the the shedding of blood. Then, all of that accumulated on the Day of Atonement. When on the Day of Atonement, 
the high priest takes an animal and sheds his blood on behalf of the nation's sin so that the nation may be maintained in forgiveness before the Lord for the next year. Let's look at Leviticus 16, verses 7 to 16. And it describes what happens at the brazen altar. And Aaron, you remember Aaron is the brother of Moses, the first of the high priests. Aaron shall take two goats on the day of atonement and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot of the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. Now we don't have to go into that, but one of the goats was chosen for a sin offering. Then he shall kill, how? Shedding the blood at the brazen altar. He shall kill at the brazen altar the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood inside the veil and do with his blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling over the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. Now we'll talk about the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant later on. Thus, what is happening? In the death of this innocent animal, in the shedding of his blood, thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. Everything here has to do with the forgiveness of sin. That's pictured at the altar. The brazen altar has one function. The penalty of death inflicted upon an innocent by the shedding of blood so that God's guilty people represented in the death of this innocent animal may have their sins forgiven by a just and holy God. The brazen altar is the first piece of furniture. Then Leaving the brazen altar, walking toward the tabernacle, we come to the next piece of furniture. The laver, or the brazen laver, or the bronze laver. Bronze, brazen, whichever your Bible says. The laver. Once the penalty is paid at the altar, once the penalty is paid at the altar, then the pollution of the sin had to be cleansed. The filthiness, the pollution, the dirtiness of the sin had to be forgiven. Now, how many of you have children? Now, how many children, especially boys? It's been raining and muddy outside. And they put on their brand new shoes. Now, while you're laughing, what's going to happen? There are mud puddles outside and what are these boys going to do? They're going to go, oh, oh, I can't walk in that because I have my new shoes. No, that's girls. <laughs> Boys will say, ah, a mud puddle. Wow. And what are they going to go stomp in the mud puddle? Bump, right? And they're going to come back home as pleased as pie. Mama, look what we did. Now, hopefully mama is forgiving. And for mama to be forgiving, it costs mama something. Now, we're not going to be shedding blood over this one. Although maybe you think you should. But in order for the boy to come back into the house, there's forgiveness. Okay, you're forgiven, son. Come back in. Uh, uh, uh. No, 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 no. You don't come back. I forgave you, but you can't come back in yet. Why? 
you still have dirty feet. Your feet are still dirty. You got to clean your feet. Take off those dirty. We have to clean it up before you come into my clean house. You see, it is required forgiveness and cleansing. Just as a sidebar, we who are in Christ are forgiven. But we need to have a regular daily work of the cleansing of the Holy Spirit by the word of God, which we see in John chapter 13. Your feet need to be washed. You're clean, but your feet need to be washed. So you can't come into the house, into the presence, without washing the feet. So the pollution of the sin had to be washed away. And so that's what we see at the laver. It is a picture of washing away the pollution that had come upon the people because of their sin. So it's always these two works. And we need to be careful as men and women of God that we don't assume because we are forgiven in Christ that we can take the dirty laundry that we have put on during the week. Do you know what I mean by that? Amen? That we have can take the dirty laundry that we have put on during the week and we can come into the presence of God and worship as if our laundry is clean. Yes, we're forgiven. But we need to have clean clothes on before we come before the Lord. Clean how? To be confessing, my clothes are dirty. And to be repenting, Father, by your Spirit, clean my clothes. Cleanse my heart. Cleanse my motive. Cleanse this activity of sin from me that I have participated in during the week. We need to be cleansed before we come in here so that we can enter his presence in fullness of joy. And I would dare say, there have been several times when I'm sitting in this front chair, and during the worship, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will remind me of something in my life. And sometimes I sit down because I'm just tired. But if you ever see me sitting down, it very well could be, and I'll sit when that happens, Chris, I'm sitting down. John Mark, I'm sitting down. I'm sitting down. I'm not telling you what to do. And I'm sitting down and I am going to deal with this issue by confessing it and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to me and to give me a sense, not of forgiveness. I am forgiven in Christ, but of giving my clothes a washing so I can Restand with clean clothes and a clean heart to continue to worship a clean God. So let me encourage you, even before we get here in the morning, let us make sure we're clean. And if we're not, let us ask the Holy Spirit to clean us during the service. And if you are Touched by the Spirit to say, you know that thought, you know that deed, you know what you did, where you went, what you said. Sit down. Let God deal with you. And then restand to receive a greater work of grace.
Well, as wonderful and glorious as these two pieces of furniture are, the altar and the laver, as wonderful and monumental a work of grace, here's the problem. There's a problem here. It's temporary. You see, because sin was put away for another year, it was not really forgiven in the New Testament sense. Its forgiveness was anticipated. Its forgiveness was foreshadowed. And so the, the, the blood of bulls and goats cannot forgive sin. So what are we talking about? This work at the brazen altar and at the laver dealing with the penalty and the pollution of sin allowed God to justly put away their sin as it were in a storage place year after year accumulated and accumulated year after year after year accumulated and accumulated so that his people may be able to remain in his presence and continue to experience the blessing of his work and of his ministry among them. But there had to come a day when actually, fully, and finally, the sin was completely forgiven. And so the, the tabernacle, with all of its the complex, let me call it the tabernacle complex, is a picture of that which God is going to do to finally deal with the issue of unforgiveness, of sin, of rebellion, of pollution, of penalty. So it's only a temporary system. And it's waiting its day in fulfillment. Listen to this prophecy in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And let's read it together. The Lord promised that the permanent was coming. The permanent is coming. You remember Jeremiah is preaching and prophesying just a little bit before Judah is about to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar. He said, this day is coming. A day is coming. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. See, because Jewish, the Jew, Judaism is what, what happens? What's going on? God promised. What, what's happening? Is God faithful? Will he, will he do what he said he will do? What's going on? It looks like everything's caving in. What's happening? So the Lord gives Jeremiah a prophecy of comfort and a promise and of assurance. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and bring them out of the land of Egypt. Why is it not like that? Because I thought the brazen altar and the labor were for the payment and the pollution of sin. It's not like that one because that one was temporary and now I'm going to bring the temporary to completion and make it permanent. You see, God is going to do the very same thing permanently as he foreshadowed and pictured in the New Testament. It's not going to be different. It's going to be the very same thing. But it won't be a picture. It'll be the reality. 
But this is the covenant that I will make, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And then I will be their God and they shall be my people. We'll be at home together, you see. Because I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now please don't be the type of person who says... God doesn't remember if I even sin because I'm in Jesus. Well, that's silly. Because if that were the case, he could never evaluate and judge us. And we've talked about in several places that a believer's walk will be judged. It will be evaluated. There will be hay, wood, and stubble. Do you remember some of those things? Good deeds and bad deeds. Well, certainly God remembers our sin, but he doesn't remember it against us. He doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't allow it to condemn us anymore. He doesn't allow us <clears throat> it to keep us out of his presence. Why? Because of the altar and the laver. And so now when God sees us, certainly he remembers your sin. Shane, he remembers your sin. He saw it. But in seeing your sin, he sees it forgiven and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh. People say, why should we tithe? Are you kidding? Why should we come to church? Are you kidding? Why should I read my Bible? Are you kidding? Now, do you remember the, these passages that we just read? Who was speaking? It says, the Lord. Do you remember that? If you have a Bible, it will be all caps. Uppercase and lowercase caps. Lord. That's the word that you're going to see in your Bible. Unless they change it for some particular reason. That's the way it's written. And the identity of the one who spoke to Moses and to Jeremiah is Yahweh. The I am. This is the one who has established and has given instruction. Detailed, minute instruction for the construction and, act, and, and, and uh, activity and use of the altar and the labor. It's the Lord has done this. And the Lord who has promised. That he will create and bring forth a new covenant. Who is this Lord? He is Yahweh. The same Lord who spoke to Moses on the mountain. When Mo he called Moses to himself. And he says Moses. I am the God of your fathers. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Moses says what is your name? And he says I am that I am Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And Moses says, what name shall I say to the people? What is your name that I should give to your people? And he says, tell them I am Yah hath sent you. Yah. So when we say hallelujah, that means praise to Yahweh. This is the God of the Old Testament who has set forth his law and his tabernacle as the means of his people coming home. This is the one we're talking about. It is the Lord Almighty, the God of glory. This is the God of the Old Testament. The God who wiped out the power of Egypt. The God who opened the seas. The God who destroyed all the enemies in Cana. This is the great God who is speaking here. This is the one. The only God. Well many years later. 
many years later, a young rabbi is stirring up trouble, contention, controversy. A young rabbi, 30 years old, 33, and he's being confronted by the religious leaders because, you see, this young rabbi is saying and doing things that is too, too close to his identifying himself with that God. Did you catch my preposition? Identifying himself with that God too closely. Is he saying he's another God with God, Yahweh? And so it comes to a crescendo in John chapter 8 when Jesus and the Pharisees are talking about Abraham and the promise of Abraham. And finally in 858, it's one of the most important scriptures you find in the Bible about the identity of this man. If you don't know it, write it down. 858 of John, write it down. And he says to these men, before Abraham was, now your Bible may say born. Okay, that's English to help us understand. What do you mean was? Before Abraham was, ego Amy. Ego Amy is the Greek of the Hebrew. Anihu. Which is I am. Oh my word. This man is saying. He's not identifying himself with God. He is saying. He is the God of the Old Testament. And they picked up stones to stone him. Ego Amy. I am. From the Hebrew, Anihu, I am. What Jesus is saying here is all that happens in the Old Testament, especially in reference this morning for our discussion on the tabernacle. I am the one. I am the one who gave these instructions to Moses and they all pictured me. Me. And what I would do, they were all pictures of me. And I have come to fulfill all that I gave in the law and the prophets. See, this is what Jesus meant in Luke 24, verse 27 and verse 40. Remember the two disciples leaving Jerusalem after the crucifixion and they're downcast and Jesus appears with them and he starts saying hey what's happening oh man the things that have been going on the last three days has been terrible he said what things now he didn't say I don't know what you're talking he just said what things how many of you ever caught or know somebody did something wrong and you just say what have you done you know what they did And the things about Jesus, we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one. He was the one. But he died. He died. And Jesus 
taught them the greatest Sunday school class anybody ever went to. He taught them. He opened the scriptures to them. And beginning with the law and the prophets, he explained and expounded all things concerning himself. What we see in Exodus, what we see in Leviticus, what we see everywhere else, but specifically in these two places, is about Christ himself. You see, he was telling them that he was the Lord who gave the instructions for the brazen altar and laver. He, is, he was telling them that he is the one who fulfilled the picture of the brazen altar by being the sacrificial lamb who died on the altar of the cross to pay the penalty of death for his people. You remember John one twenty nine, John the Baptist baptizing and he sees Jesus and by revelation of the Holy Spirit he says, behold the lamb of God. And when he says that, he is saying that all the lambs, all the lambs for all those years, this is the one who in himself collects them all and gathers all of what it meant in himself and who will die for the sin of his people this is the one who will be in his shedding of his blood bringing his people back home cleansing us from sin he was telling them that he was the one who fulfilled the picture of the brazen altar I already said that he was telling them that he was the one who fulfilled the picture of the laver not only the altar where blood was shed but at the labor where he would wash away the pollution of his people's sin by making them fit for the presence of God and to be home with God the Father. What does 1 John 1, 7 say? For the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from i got hearing aids on and I still can't hear Cleanses us from all. Now, you know, if the saints just won, we would be a little more excited. Phil, how much of our sin is paid for? All. all. For the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Forever. Forever. This is what being pictured at the altar and at the laver. God was telling us, his people in those days... He's coming. And every day you alter, you make sacrifice and the priest washes. This is a picture of his coming. He's coming. He's coming. Colossians 2.17 tells us that in Christ all of this is fulfilled. You see the altar brazen altar pictures the cross of Christ and the laver the cleansing of the blood of Christ the cross of Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the cleansing of the pollution of sin penalty and pollution it pictures Jesus as the door the way the doorway. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. He is the doorway home to God. That's what this is picturing. Remember in John chapter 14, Jesus is with the disciples on the night that he was betrayed. 
They know something's going on because this man is changing. Things are happening. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, for in my father's house are many rooms, many mansions. And I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. In Exodus 25, we heard that God made the tabernacle as the place of his dwelling. And gave the sacrificial system, the tabernacle and the altar and the other furniture pieces as the place for ability for his people to come in to this tabernacle which became the tent of meeting where God and his people dwell together in fellowship. And Jesus says on that night, I am the one. I am the one in whom and with whom. You will dwell in the presence of God forever. Everything of the brazen altar, everything of the brazen laver spoke of me, of my person and of my work. My person because I am God the Son clothed with humanity and a human soul and of my work as a man, Jesus Christ. Now, the Son of God and the Son of Man in one person, two natures together. I mean, that's a mission, you know. And as a man, Jesus will go to the cross and pay the full, sufficient penalty of all of our sin that Adam created in his disobedience. Jesus, in his obedience, will fulfill it all. So that in Christ and in trusting Jesus, in trusting him himself and what he did, As the only way that we can come into the presence of God safely. Because you see, there is coming a day when everyone who is living. How many of you are not living here? How many of you are dead? Everyone breathing in here? Every one of us. Every one of us will one day stand before the Lord of glory. This one who has himself paid the price. And for those who have received him and have embraced that work and have trusted the shedding of his blood for the redemption of their sin, every one of those people will be welcomed home by this one. But for those who, nah, I don't see it that way. I don't believe it. I think there are many other ways and whatever. And whatever. I think I'm good enough. Every one of those people will be rejected by this one. Because they have rejected God's only son. Who is the only way into the presence of God. You see, Israel was not given Two or three different ways of entering the presence of God. It was only in the tabernacle complex. And if anybody tried to do it any other way, they were literally stoned. Home at last. Remember Isaiah 59 too? 
the Lord says, because of your iniquities, I have hidden my face from you. But there's coming a day that the altar and the laver picture and that Jesus fulfilled. There's coming a day when what God said through Isaiah, I have hidden my face from you, will be completely, irrevocably, and forever reversed in Revelation 22.4, and which says what? About his people. And they shall see his face. Remember my picture up there in the beginning? Do you remember that? I don't know if you can put it back up there. You remember that? Everything of the altar and the labor is about God doing this to us. Everything about the altar and the labor is this. Home at last. Home at last. Thank God Almighty. I'm home at last. This morning as you hear this, there may be someone among us that you're not sure. Or you may actually know, I'm not going home because I have never understood or have never decided or never had a desire in my heart be with God this way and this morning the Holy Spirit may be touching you and saying today if this morning you are feeling something of a desire and a feeling and an emotion for the first time maybe I want this I want this I have to have it I've got to have this I don't want to get out of this room today and leave and go out into that world without this I must have this that is a Holy Spirit calling you home home that is the love of God saying come home and what does he have for us joy and pleasures forevermore what does he have for us blessings his presence forevermore. That's what God wants you to have. But there's another spirit who says, don't do it. Don't be embarrassed. You don't need to. There's other ways. He's a damnable liar. John eight forty four. He's a liar. So as we stand together, If you are experiencing this this morning, if this is where you are in your feelings and emotions, I'm going to ask you to do something that we do, that each one of us have done. God brought me home one day from a life of rebellion and sin. But the Bible says, to him who receives Christ, we have to say yes. When you get married, you have to say what? I do. If you don't say I do, you're not married. 
if you're here today and you are realizing, I need and I want to say I do to Jesus, would you do a very brave thing and come on down here to the front? All we're going to do is pray for you. We're not going to write your name down. We're not going to take money. We're not going to do anything else. We just simply want to pray with you and for you. And so as we sing this closing song, if you are feeling this, if you are desiring this, if this is where the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing in you to say, I do. This is God's call to say, my child, come home to this father who is waiting on the hill, but not waiting by himself, but he's pulling you and drawing you in by the Spirit. As we sing this morning, and if you come down, we'll be praying for you, we'll pray for you, and then you can go home like the rest of us and drown getting to the car.